What have we been talking about this week? Freedom. freedom, yes. We've been talking about freedom. We've been talking for the last two nights, and we're going to talk about it again tonight, this idea that in Christ we have freedom. And we've based all of that on this verse from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And let me read it for us again. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And we've been talking about this idea of freedom because, you know, how we started the first night talking about in a couple weeks, we're going to celebrate our freedom as a nation. But when we celebrate that freedom, besides the fireworks and the hamburgers and the hot dogs and all that good stuff, what we're actually celebrating are three different things. We're celebrating who we've been freed by. We're celebrating what we've been freed from. And we're celebrating what we've been freed to. And as important as that freedom is as a citizen of this country, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ carries a whole lot more weight in our lives than our freedom as a United States citizen. Because when we look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, we see who we've been freed by. It says right there, for freedom, Christ has set us free. We see what we've been freed from. It says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And tonight we're going to talk about this idea of what we've been freed to. Because if you've been freed from something, that means you've been freed to something else. And on night one, when we talked about this idea of who we've been freed by, we you know, went all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the Israelites. This was the nation of God's chosen people. And the problem is they had ended up in Egypt as slaves. Scripture actually tells us they were there for 430 years. And they lived in bondage. They had no hope, no way of getting out of that slavery on their own. And God had to act on their behalf to free his people. So he sent Moses to speak for them, to fight for them, to lead them out of that bondage. They were freed by God. And if you sit here tonight and you've ever come to the realization that you are a sinner, which by the way, we all are. But if you've ever come to that realization and knowing that you can't fix yourself, knowing that you need someone to save you from your own sin because you are trapped in the bondage, slave to your own sin, you need to be freed by somebody, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one that has freed us if we put our faith and trust in him. And then last night we talked about the idea that we are freed from something. And we looked at that same nation of Israel when they had wandered around in the desert. They actually got to the point where they were ready to go back to slavery. Because where God was calling them to go next was scary and unknown. And they didn't know if they could do it. And they had somehow forgotten the horrible lives that they had come from. They had forgotten what they had been freed from. And it's a reminder for us that when we say we follow Jesus Christ, there's going to be times that God calls us to things that are going to be scary, things that are going to be frightening. Or sometimes we just fall into a routine and we don't spend much time with God and we begin to think, hey, the life that we were freed from was better than the life that we're being called to. And what scripture shows us is that there is nothing behind us that will ever be even close to better than what God has before us. And that's why we need to understand that if we've been freed from something, we've been freed to something. It's not like, okay, I'm not, I'm not dead in my sin anymore. Now I'm a Christian. Now I'm a believer. And then we just do nothing with it. No, if God has freed you from things in your life, things that held you, those, those thoughts, those people, those relationships, those habits, those things that you run to that honor you instead of honoring God, if God has freed you from those things, then he's freed you for a purpose. He's freed you to do something else. 
And that's what we're going to look at tonight. We're going to still stay in the Old Testament for a little while. Because we're still following the nation of Israel. Because when we follow them, we can see a picture of what God does in our own lives as he's working through that nation. So tonight we're going to hit scripture in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table. There's those blue books back there. Feel free, run, grab one. Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to look at a couple different things here. What we find as you're turning there is we've got the nation of Israel in the Old Testament still. Now we talked about already how Moses led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, right? And he took them across the desert. But eventually, Moses dies. They've been out in the desert. They've been wandering so long. And at one point in time, Moses got mad and he did something God told him not to do. And God said, Moses, you don't get to go into this land that I've promised my people. So Moses dies before he gets to go where God was leading them. But God doesn't ever leave his people without some kind of hope. So God raises up another leader. There's a guy by the name of Joshua. And Joshua, as he kind of takes over the, the nation of Israel, leading them and following God, what we see is that Joshua does the exact same thing Moses did. If you remember, we talked about last night, Moses sent spies into this new land that God was taking them to because he wanted to see what they were up against. And when we talked about it, when Moses sent the spies in there, he sent 12 men to go check it out. And when they came back, 10 of the 12 guys said, we cannot do this. The people there, they're too big, they're too strong, they're too mighty. We can't take this land. But two of the guys came back and said, yes, we can. If God has called us to this, God has given us this land, there's everything we could ever want there, and we can take it over from the people that are there. One of those two guys was Joshua. So when Joshua is now the leader of the nation of Israel, Joshua does the same thing, except this time he only sends two spies in. And this time, those guys come back, and they have the same report that the two guys had last time. They come back and say, yes, we can do this. In fact, the people that are there, he, he uses these words. They use this phrase and says that their hearts are melting because they have heard of the God that Israel serves, and they are terrified of him. So this time, when the spies come back, they're ready to go. They said the people who are over there, they've heard about what God has done. They've heard how he's brought us out of Egypt. They've heard how he's provided for us. They've heard the miracles he's done, and they're scared of him, which means they're scared of us. So they say, let's go. Let's go do what God has promised us he's going to do. And as we pick up here in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, what we do begin to see is that when we are freed from our sin, when we are freed by Jesus, we are freed to what Galatians 5 says, we are free to stand firm in Jesus Christ. But the question is, how do we do that? We can say that phrase, hey, stand firm, stand firm. That's great. What does that mean? Do I stand like a statue? Do I walk around? I mean, what, what, what does that look like? Well, we're going to turn to Scripture and see what that looks like. Joshua chapter 3, the first thing that we see here, in order for you and I to stand firm, we have to do the same thing that the nation of Israel did here in Joshua chapter 3. We have to follow God. Listen to what it says in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. 
yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. So we've got Joshua. He's the new leader of this nation, and he's listened to God. He sent people over. They've scouted out this land, and now he is leading the nation of Israel to cross this Jordan River into this new land so that they can follow God. But pay attention to what's happening here. They're not following Joshua across the river. Did did you catch that? When they start walking here, when this whole thing starts, they're not told to follow Joshua. They're told to follow God. Our tendency, yours and mine, is to follow a person, whether that be a a boss or a pastor or a coach or, or your parents. Our tendency is to follow people, and yet what God tells them to do right here is not to follow people, but to follow him. They're supposed to follow the Ark of the Covenant. If you're not familiar with what that is, in the Old Testament, that is how God dwelt among his people. There was this contraption that they built. They carried it on poles, and it was called the Ark of the Covenant. It's where the Ten Commandments were stored. That was where the presence of God was among his people. And what he told them to do here is he said, hey, when you start walking, I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, and I want the rest of you stay to, what does it say, 2,000 cubits behind the Ark of the Covenant. Now, how many people are familiar with how long a cubit is? A couple of you? How long is it? Yeah? Yeah. A cubit, it's, it's approximately the length of your forearm to the tip of your finger. It's about 18 inches. You know, give or take a little bit because everybody's got different arms. But a cubit is about 18 inches. So if you do the math on that, he's basically told them all, stay back about 3,000 feet, which is about the length of eight football fields. Why in the world would God tell him to do that? Because if he didn't, you know who they're following? The person standing right in front of them. They're following a person. But if they're that far back from the Ark of the Covenant, at a distance, more people can see where God's going. And they can follow God. And that's what they have the opportunity to do here as they start taking this step. That distance allowed them to see where God was going, not where Joshua was going. So their confidence was in what God was leading them to do, not what Joshua was leading them to do. They were able to stand firm and move forward because God was leading the way for them. And you and I, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you say you're a disciple of his, you're called to do the exact same thing. Don't follow man. Don't follow people who tell you, hey, this is what God wants you to do with your life. Go to God's word and see what God wants you to do with your life for yourself. Follow it. Now, seek godly wisdom. That is biblical. Yes, don't misunderstand me there. But you need to follow God. If you're going to say that you believe in God, if you're going to say that he's leading the way, you've got to actually follow him and let him lead the way in your life. So let's talk about a couple ways that you do that. One way that you follow God is you do it through the Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us in the moment that you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, that the Holy Spirit, God lives within you in the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says this, and these verses aren't going to be on the screen, but I'll read it for you real quick. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's Jesus talking to his disciples saying, Hey, when I leave, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. 
But scripture tells us that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Christ, we receive that exact same Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit begins to work in us. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand who God is. Remember, we talked about that last night. When you're, when you're dead in your sins, you're dark in your mind, you're callous in your attitude towards God, you can't understand God or the things of God. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life that begins to give you understanding of who God is and how to follow Him. So we follow God through the Holy Spirit. We also follow God through reading His Word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is what guides us. The word of God is what the Holy Spirit uses us to teach us who God is. It's where you find God's will for your life. It's where you find out, God, what am I supposed to do? Now, this book, I will tell you this. This book may not have every specific answer to every single question that you have. God, should I date this guy or should I date that guy? He's not going to tell you, go with the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, or go with the brown-haired, brown-eyed. He's not going to tell you that. You know what he'll tell you, though? He'll tell you what kind of man you're supposed to look for that's following him. Same thing goes for guys and the girls you want to date. Don't date her because she's pretty. I mean, that's a plus. But date her because she's following God. Hopefully, you'll get lucky. You'll find one who's following God that is pretty. Good luck, all right? We'll see how that works out for you. <laughs> all the guys in the room were like, yes. At least all the married men anyways. But if you look at this book, it will give you the principles that you need to follow God. It will show you how to trust him with your life. And that's exactly what the next thing is that we need to do. Not only do we need to follow God, we need to trust God. Because when you stand firm and you follow him, it can be a scary thing. Listen, listen to what's about to happen to the nation of Israel. Joshua 3, I'm skipping down a little bit to verse 14. He says, So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. Let's stop there for a second because I want you to understand how many people this is. Numbers chapter 26, in that book, you don't have to turn there, but in that chapter, there's a census and they number all of the people in the nation of Israel. In fact, let me back up. They number all of the men in the nation of Israel. And if you walk through that chapter and you add up all of those numbers, you get somewhere between or somewhere around 602,000 men. Now, it's not just men that are traveling. It's the entire nation of Israel. So even conservative estimates from different scholars and different theologians say that if you add in all the families, the, the women, the children, they estimate probably about 1.8 million people that were about to try to cross the Jordan River. Guys, in 2017, that's been a few years ago now, there was a census of Camden County that said our population was 53,044. I looked it up. The latest census was in 2020. There's only about a thousand more people since then. What that means is the nation of Israel was almost 34 times the population of everyone that lives in Camden County. And that's who was about to cross the Jordan River. That's what's about to happen. And look at verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan... And the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. It means they just touched it. 
Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. That's important for us. If you don't know anything about the Jordan River, the Jordan River in normal conditions is about 10 feet deep and about 100 feet wide. But this is happening during the time of the harvest. This is in the spring. This probably would have been around, you know, March or April. And at that time, that's when floods happen. And what would have happened is these dark overflowing waters would have been higher than normal, would have been swifter than normal, would have been extremely dangerous. That's what, what, what did I say the number? 1.8 approximately million people are about to try to walk through. And then it says in verse 16, look at what happened. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over or passed opposite Jericho. God just did what only God can do. When the feet of the priests, the guys that were carrying the presence of God among his people, when it says they came and put their foot in the brink, they just touched the water. As soon as they did that, the water stops flowing. And it says it stops all the way back at a city called Adam. Uh, scholars tell us that that town is estimated to have been about 18 miles upstream from where they crossed. So 18 miles away, God stops the water from flowing in this river that's normally 10 feet deep, 100 feet wide, probably overflowing at this time of year. God just stops it. So now not only do the Israelites get to see what God's doing, you've got people in a town 18 miles away going, what in the world is happening right now? They're getting to watch God perform a miracle and they don't even know what they're watching. And you know that had to be a scary thing. That had to be a frightening thing for the nation of Israel because they're stepping into something that it looks like there's no way they should be able to accomplish. They're going into a land that there's no reason they should be able to go in and conquer the people that are there and take the land that God has promised them. Guys, when you decide to stand firm and you decide to follow God, God's going to call you to some scary stuff. But you've got to decide if you trust him. And if you're going to stand firm, you have to trust him. Even when life doesn't make sense. Even when God has put something in front of you and you're like, okay, God, I don't know how in the world you think I'm going to do this. Trust God. And when you do, you can stand firm knowing that he's going to take care of the situation. It's not on your shoulders. It's on his. Now you do everything he's called you to do. But at the end of the day, it's on his shoulders. That's how we stand firm in who God has called us to be. You may experience fear, you may experience anxiety or, or tragedy in your life, and you don't know how you will ever see the other side of what you're facing right now, but you have the opportunity to rely on God in those moments and those situations. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. He will call you to scary things. He will call you to things that seem impossible, but when he does, you get to see God work. And when you trust him and when you see him work, then the other way that you can stand firm is you can celebrate what God has done because that's what the nation of Israel is about to do. It says right here in verse four of chapter four, we're going back a little bit or going forward a little bit. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed 
a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. This is a significant thing for the nation of Israel. In fact, as you look through Scripture, this is the first time in Scripture that Israel is referred to as a nation. It's the first time we see that, that collectively they are God's people and what they are doing with these stones that they pick up and these stones that they go over and they set down and build this altar, they are celebrating what God has done. And they're making it possible for everyone who comes after them to see what God has done so that they can celebrate what God has done, so that they can remember who he is. God calls us to do the same thing. When God works in your life, don't just move on to the next thing. Thanks, God, that was cool. Now what's next? You've got to stop and take time to celebrate what God has done. Let everybody know. If you were here this past Sunday, you got to see in our 11 o'clock service, we had two third grade girls that got baptized. And they sat up there and they gave their testimony and they said, this is what God has done in my life. And if you were in that room, you heard the clapping and you heard the cheers when they came up out of that water. In fact, a couple of them before they went down into that water because they were celebrating what God has done, because they made the choice that they were going to stand firm in Christ and they wanted everybody to know about it. That is what he calls us to do. He gives us that opportunity to let other people see how he is working in us and around us. And then if you go on and you follow the account of the Israelite nation through Joshua and through more of the Old Testament, you see very quickly uh, in chapter 5, they, they've crossed over, they put up this altar, they camp out there, and they renew the covenant they have with God. We, we are the nation of Israel now. You are our God and we are your people. And then in, Jer or in uh, chapter 6 of Joshua, they go to this city named Jericho, this city that they should never have been able to conquer. They should never have been able to defeat. And God says, hey, I want you to march around the walls. And these people are going to think you're nuts. You're going to march around the walls and you're going to do it quietly. And you're going to do it over and over and over and over until I tell you to make a loud noise. And when you make a loud noise, it's game on. And when the nation of Israel did, you know what happened? The walls came down, and they conquered the city of Jericho. And once again, because they trusted God, because they followed God, because they celebrated what God had done, they had the opportunity to follow God where he was leading next. And they had the opportunity to see God do unbelievable things. When the Israelites chose to stand firm in God, not once were they let down by God. They were freed by him, they were freed from slavery, and they were freed to stand firm.
you and I have the opportunity to experience those same things every single day. If you've been freed by Jesus, then you know you've been freed from the bondage of your sin. And if you don't know what I mean by that, I mean this, I said it earlier, every one of us is a sinner. There's never been a day in your life or my life where we have been perfect. Your grandmother will probably tell you you've been pretty close, but there's never been a day that you've been perfect. You've messed up, you've done something wrong, you've lied, you've hurt somebody, you've done something that dishonored God because we're all sinners. And because of our sin, we can't be with God. Scripture tells us that our sin separates us from God. And the punishment, the penalty for our sin is death. We all die physically, but it's an eternal separation. But it also says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When you understand that Jesus gave his life on a cross to pay the sin, the, the sin debt that we owe, because we can't fix ourselves. God had to act on our behalf, just like he did in the Old Testament. He did it for us too. He acts on our behalf. He sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And all we have to do is understand that, believe that, confess that, and then just follow him. Just trust him. Stand firm in him. God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't forgive myself. God, I need to be forgiven because of what Jesus did for me. And in that moment, Scripture says you belong to Him. In that moment, you are freed from the things that pulled you away from God. You are freed to the things that draw you towards God. And in that moment, you are freed to stand firm in the person and the work of Jesus. And you do that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You do that by the power of God's word working in your life. And you do that by celebrating what God is doing in your life and in the lives of other believers around you. That's what it looks like to have freedom in Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like to have all of this that we've been talking about. Freedom, if you sit here tonight, you know that freedom is a precious thing that so many people long for. It's something that so many people want. And you can have it tonight in Jesus if you understand who he is and you are willing to humble yourself and ask him to forgive you and trust in him with the rest of your life. And then you get to join together with other believers to stand firm in him. Only you know if you have that freedom. Only you know if you're ready to accept that freedom. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what? I know I'm free. Follow God. Trust him. Celebrate what he's doing in his life. Let other people celebrate with you. If you're here tonight and you're what scripture tells us, still trapped in your sin, you're a slave in bondage. You've never asked Jesus Christ to free you from that. You can change that tonight. The Bible says we admit that we're a sinner. We believe that Jesus Christ gave his life on a cross for us and we confess him as Lord of our life. And in that moment, you belong to God. And if you're here tonight and you make that choice, you know what? We wanna celebrate that with you. 
So when we stand up in just a minute and we start to sing, come talk to me or come talk to one of the other adults in the room, we would love to pray with you, pray for you, celebrate that with you. If you're here tonight and you've already got that relationship and you just need some encouragement, come talk to one of us. We would love to pray with you and for you and celebrate what God is going to do in your life. But don't walk out of here tonight without knowing what true freedom is in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that every time we open your word, God, we know that you're going to speak. And Lord, we thank you that we've looked at this week, we've had the opportunity to see what it looks like to have freedom in you. And Lord, I pray for every single person in this room, myself included, God, help us to know, understand, help us to experience and live out that freedom because we put our faith and trust in you. God, help us to follow you. Help us to trust you. Help us to celebrate you above everything else in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.